It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Tonight on The Readout. Well, there's no question, but that the Republican Party today is, is in the shadow of Donald Trump. Uh, he is the leader of the greatest portion of the Republican Party. Uh, it's a populist, I believe, demagogue portion of the party. If you don't have a MAGA loyalty card, you are soon on the outside looking in. Mitt Romney, just the latest old school Republican to announce he's had enough. He says a very large portion of his caucus doesn't even believe in the Constitution. I'll talk to former longtime Republican presidential strategist Steve Schmidt in just a moment. Also tonight, the Fulton County judge agrees to sever two of the 19 co-defendants cases as the number of violent threats grows against officials in that county and against federal law enforcement. Plus, the politics of impeachment. Kevin McCarthy is doing what he thinks he has to do to hang on to his flailing speakership as President Biden goes about his business looking like the only adult in the room. And we begin tonight with one of the oldest established rights in American law, the right to a speedy trial. It is the first right listed in the Sixth Amendment, but its origins go back to the Magna Carta, one of the most important legal documents in the history of democracy, written by a group of 13th century barons to protect their rights and property against a tyrannical king. The Magna Carta declared in English, spelled a little bit differently than it is today, we shall not deny or delay justice and right, neither the end, which is justice, nor the mean whereby we may attain to the end, and that is the law thereby protecting the right of all freemen to speedy disposition of trials. The right is a cornerstone of the judicial system, meaning a person cannot be held for an unreasonable amount of time awaiting trial. It's a fundamental constitutional right that impacts a modern-day criminal case that could help preserve the very principles the Magna Carta established more than 800 years ago. And that is the Georgia election interference case. Today, Fulton County Judge Scott McAfee ruled that Donald Trump and 16 other co-defendants will be tried separately from Trump's former attorneys, Sidney Powell and Kenneth Cheeseborough. Cheeseborough and Powell requested speedy trials, while their other co-defendants did not. They are set to be tried starting October 23rd. The ruling handed a defeat to Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis who argued for trying all 19 defendants together and who said that she was ready to begin next month. It also means Trump likely will not face trial until next year. Trump has waived his right to a speedy trial, choosing instead to benefit from delaying his day in court. As D.A. Willis has noted, multiple drawn-out trials will create an enormous strain on the courts and her office and give defendants who wait an advantage. And let's just be clear, Trump doesn't want to speed this up or simply create strategic delays, he never wants to go to trial at all. 
He wants to become president again and fully execute his autocratic dreams by maybe firing the federal prosecutors and pardoning himself or otherwise extinguishing the legal cases against him, even the state ones that he can't pardon his way out of, using the intimidation and power of the presidency. Donald Trump is not a normal politician. He is a wannabe autocrat who is attacking American democracy at its core. He is not, however, the only threat we face because his party, the MAGA faction, as well as the normies, even the ones running against him for president, are now wholly consumed by his authoritarian outlook or too cowardly to do anything other than give in, while those who are not on board are forced out and expelled. One of Trump's obsessions, besides overturning the will of American voters, is ousting any official who dares to defend their oath to the Constitution. Trump sought revenge for Republican Liz Cheney's vote to impeach him and her work on the House committee investigating him, leading to her losing her primary in Wyoming to a Trump-backed challenger. He sought revenge against those who dared to run a fair election, like Republican Rusty Bowers, the Arizona House Speaker who stood up to Trump's demand that he overturn Arizona's election result. Well, he paid the price, too losing a bid for state Senate for a state Senate seat to a Trump backed opponent. And today in Wisconsin, the Republican controlled Senate voted to fire the state's elections chief just months before the battleground state's presidential primary. This is Republican extremism in the age of Trump as House Speaker Kevin McCarthy had to once again take the knee to MAGA lawmakers threatening to cast him out of the speakership in a meeting that devolved into a tirade of F-bombs and taunts. And we'll have more on that mess later in the show. The disarray among House Republicans is just one reason Utah Senator Mitt Romney will not seek re-election, a sign of just how far his party has fallen. Mitt Romney, the 2012 Republican presidential standard bearer, the senator who voted twice to convict Trump on impeachment charges, is now part of the exodus but not before spilling some serious tea and torching his party for pursuing power over the people. A very large portion of my party really doesn't believe in the Constitution, Romney told writer McKay Coppins as part of his forthcoming biography, along with the along with the chilling warning that authoritarianism is like a gargoyle lurking over the cathedral, ready to pounce. Joining me now is Steve Schmidt, former Republican strategist and the founder of the Warning Newsletter podcast and YouTube channel, to which I subscribe and recommend that you do, too. Steve, it is good to see you. It has been too long, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on. Good to see you, Joy. You bet. Let's good talk. to see you. So, you know, I feel like you're the perfect person to talk about this Watching the people, the Mitt Romneys of the world sort of walk away, right? I mean, this McKay Coppins article is fascinating. And, and Romney talks about what kind of shocked him when he got to the Senate, that so many people there, all they care about is remaining in office and only secondarily about ideas and policy. Is that the Republican Party that you were familiar with when you were working actively in it? No, of course not. Um, but it is the Republican Party today. Every single person I worked with in Republican politics, with with very, very few exceptions, all of them have taken a pass on the U.S. Constitution. They've become faithless for it. Those that remain in politics are part of the MAGA project. They're part of the Trump project. And what the moment required were people to say no. Never, never, ever 
I'm one of those people. Mitt Romney was one of those people. It's a very small group of people. And at the end of the day, the most important thing about this moment to understand is the American way of life. Forget politics. The American way of life, our civilization, is entirely dependent on an elections process. It is built around the election process. When, when you look at the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King was not someone from the French Revolution. He wasn't trying to burn down the society to take from the oppressor. His proposition was very simple. The American way of life is dependent on this, right? The right to vote. This is how we apportion political power temporarily with tremendous constraints, with forever protections around the rights of the individual. There's no place to meet in the middle. There's no compromise route if this collapses. And it has been a national emergency since 2015, the first time Donald Trump said he would not honor the results of a federal election. And as a result, seven years on, we have a whole society crisis because the way of life that is sustained by elections is the American system. It's the American way of life. So, so it's not possible to overstate the severity of this moment. You know, and, it, you know, January 6th was such a, a chilling moment, I think, for everyone, hopefully everyone, well, not everyone, actually, some people are kind of trying to justify it. But it really did um, sort of veer us into the kind of society in which elections are maybe decided in the streets, uh, which some people in this country seem to want it to be. I have to read you this text. This is a text from Mitt Romney to Mitch McConnell. And he actually sent this on January 2nd um, about his concerns that Angus King, his fellow senator, had cast him, please call me. So he calls him and then he sends this text, Romney does to Mitch McConnell. Um, Romney sends in the text, in case you have not heard this, I just got a call from Angus King, who said that he had spoken with a senior official at the Pentagon, who reports that they are seeing very disturbing social media traffic regarding the protests planned on the 6th. There are calls to burn down your home, Mitch, to smuggle guns into D.C. and to storm the Capitol. I hope that sufficient security plans are in place, but I am concerned that the instigator, the president, is the one who commands the reinforcements the D.C. and Capitol Police might require. McConnell never responds. We have some video of what happened with Mitt Romney on that day uh, when he was saved by Capitol Police as they helped him run out of there. I think we have that video. Um, what do you make of the fact that the leader of the Senate at the time, Mitt, uh, Mitch McConnell, who appears a lot in this article, seemed completely in, unwilling to respond to the threat of Trump, even when it meant the threat to his own members? Historically, he will be remembered as a repugnant figure. Uh, the abdication of his duty, um, the responsibility and the obligations are epic. So he received that email, which is chilling from Mitt Romney. And what did he do? He did what he has done for seven years. He did nothing like a turtle. He tried to put his head in the sand. He is the living embodiment of John Kennedy's admonition from his inaugural about those who seek power by trying to ride the back of the tiger only to wind up inside. 
what Mitch McConnell's legacy is substantially is he is the man who broke the United States Senate, which was once considered the greatest deliberative body in the world. He is an appeaser par excellence. So you have a storm system of cynicism, of cowardice, of racial malice that all combines to form under Donald Trump and has now threatened the cornerstone of the whole society, which is who gets to decide who's in power in the country? Is it something that's bestowed by the American people or is it someone who's taken or is it something that's taken by the richest, the strongest and the most powerful? This is an existential question. You know, it, it, I'm struck in, you know, just reading not just uh, Mitt Romney, but other Republicans who talk about what people tell them when no one is around and the cameras are not around and how many Republicans actually despise Donald Trump. Um, think exactly what you think about Donald Trump, but they'll whisper to Mitt Romney, boy, you're lucky. You know, you come from a state where you can get reelected. You can say the things that we can't say. And, but and I think about the fact that they had a chance to end this nightmare for themselves twice with two impeachments. The first impeachment, only Mitt Romney was willing to vote uh, to convict Donald Trump in the impeachment for trying to strong arm Ukraine. The second time, seven Republicans voted. Burr, Cassidy, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, Mitt Romney, Ben Sass, and Pat Toomey. But three of them did their vote and then they retired. They weren't willing to stay and fight. You've been, I mean, I'm sure you're still in touch with some members of your party. If they can't get rid of him after he does an insurrection, if they can't stop him from being president again, how do how does the Republican Party get rescued or does it? It doesn't get rescued. And it's a much broader question right now. And the crisis is worsened. And Joe Scarborough addressed this the other day on MSNBC's air. It's both parties on a fundamental question, which is this. There are no people in the Republican Party who, when the cameras were off for many years, praised Donald Trump. That's for TV. That's for the show. Now, Democrats, there's not a one of them who you have a private conversation with who is not extremely worried, bordering on panic about President Biden's ability to make it through this election and to win in the election. And as soon as the cameras go on, they sing a different tune. So the American people see this. There's a conversation that's held by the elites of the country that projects over the whole of the media that they're not in the room for. They're not part of, but they get it completely. How does that how does that cynicism that results from that? Who benefits from that? The people who benefit from that are the demagogues and the autocrats. It's the Trump movement that flourishes in the BS environment. So the Republican Party is lock, stock and barrel controlled by the greatest threat to freedom in America since the Confederate States of America. And seven years on, the pro-democracy party in the country has been unable to put it down, unable to do it. So right now, say give them a break in 22 or 21 or 20. But in 2023, if this election were held tomorrow, it's a jump ball all over the country. And nobody 
should underestimate the capacity of Donald Trump to win a general election in 2024. And everybody should understand the plans are laid down in writing and are openly talked about, about how to dismantle the federal government within five to six months. The Claremont Institute is at the center of it. There are extremist groups who are planning for it. And when you look at this in the totality, the removal of a Supreme Court justice by impeachment in Wisconsin is part of January 6th. The impeachment that is being orchestrated without any evidence whatsoever by Donald Trump is part of January 6th. Each action is part of a greater whole. And the greater whole is a sustained attack on the American way of life, elections process, and democracy by a malevolence that has always existed in the country, but has manifested itself wholly inside the Republican Party. And the only institution in this country that has the ability to defeat it, that can defeat it, that exists to oppose this, is the Democratic Party. And any fair evaluation of how the party is doing as an institution confronting this, my judgment is not good because the extremism and the threat of it has grown with each successive year. And the next election stands a chance to be America's last election if the ball bounces the wrong way. Anybody who thinks that Donald Trump and this extremist movement will be an easy, an easy campaign to win is completely deluded. And the idea that you occasionally read from anonymous White House sources that, in fact, they want Trump to be the Republican nominee because they assess him as the easiest candidate to beat is yeah. immoral, in my estimation, and a sign of judgment. That is so epically bad, I don't have a word for it. Well, I, I hope that you will have make more time to come back. Uh, we're out of time, but uh, I would love for you to come back so we can dig into this more. The Good. Claremont Institute piece, I think, is really important. We've talked about it a bit on this show, but we're going to talk about it a lot more. Steve Schmidt, uh, it's good to see you, man. Thank you very much for making the Good time. Good to see you, Joy. Take care. Up next on The Readout, the FBI investigates more violent threats against Georgia officials as Trump supporters try in vain to derail these lawful prosecutions. The Readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future.
Today, Hunter Biden was indicted on three counts related to lying about his drug use while buying a gun. And just look at how outraged the NRA and all the other Second Amendment gun-loving Republicans are about these charges. Roll the tapes. Wait, wait, hold on. Wait, what? Sorry. Oh, what's that? Oh, oh, all right. Oh, OK. There aren't any tapes. They, they don't exist. Ah, well, I'm sure that they'll, they'll come rushing this defense any moment now. Just wait on it. In the meantime, new reporting today from NBC News shows that prosecutors and FBI agents involved in the Hunter Biden investigation have been the targets of threats and harassment by people who think they haven't been tough enough on the president's son, to the point where the FBI is creating a standalone unit to investigate and mitigate those threats. It's just the latest example of a trend we've seen for years, except this abuse is typically aimed at any prosecutor, FBI agent or judge who dares to investigate the twice impeached four times indicted former president, or participate in holding him accountable. Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis, for example, has been candid about the vile and racist harassment she's received ahead of her decision to bring charges against Trump, as has the sheriff who booked him and took that mugshot. And today, the FBI confirmed that they are responding to threats made against Fulton County officials. Joining me now is our friend Glenn Kirshner, former federal prosecutor, MSNBC legal analyst, and host of the Justice Matters podcast. Uh, talk about these threats, because, I mean, I, I suppose in, at some level uh, that is not atypical for people in the law enforcement world, but or is it? Because it seems like it's really extreme when it comes to Trump. You know, Joy, I think it is somewhat atypical. Yes, prosecutors, police officers, FBI agents are the subject of threats from time to time. But given the reporting about the increased rate, the acceleration of these threats, it seems pretty clear that there is a cause and effect. If you don't like the fact that Donald Trump is being investigated for his crimes, you investigate the investigators, you threaten the investigators, you go after the prosecutors, the judges, the witnesses or the jurors or grand jurors. And, you know, when the Republicans you know, are, are engaged in these ridiculous cries to defund the FBI. Their claims that the Department of Justice is being weaponized. I don't know if Joe, Joe Biden has weaponized the Department of Justice against his own son. Feels a little odd. But, you know, they know, they know, Joy, that their supporters will respond in almost Pavlovian fashion. They will salivate, salivate they will lash out. They will threaten the FBI and the prosecutors and others. And I think at its core, the reason we see this and the reason it's on the rise is because nobody has tried to hold the Republicans accountable for these dangerous lies, these lies that are clearly likely to incite violence. And unless and until law enforcement begins to hold them accountable, then you're not going to be able to tamp down what their supporters are doing. Uh, yeah. And let me, let me roll back a little bit. I'm going to reel back the tape a little bit to part of what you said here, that Biden has not weaponized the Justice Department against his own son. I mean, I think that's obvious, right? But 
it, it strikes me, everything I've read tells me that what's happening with Hunter Biden is unusual. I'm going to read you a couple of things. This is the first one from the Washington Post. Uh, lying to the, about lying uh, on a form when you buy a gun. According to Justice Department records, the odds of being charged for lying on this form are virtually non-existent. In the 2019 fiscal year, when Hunter Biden purchased his gun, federal prosecutors received 478 referrals for lying on Form 4473 and filed just 298 cases. That's out of approximately 27 million background checks undertaken in a 12-month period. One other thing from the Daily Beast. The particular gun charge the feds brought against Biden is rarely brought as a standalone crime. When the feds do bring this type of case, they come down hard, but it's usually a tool they use to take down tough-to-arrest criminals like militant white nationalists, Islamist terrorists, and narco-traffickers. He is neither of those three. You're a former federal prosecutor. You ever brought a charge like this for somebody filling out a form saying they didn't use drugs and it turns out like they use drugs? Never. And I'll tell you, I had a hard time convincing my superiors to bring even more significant firearms charges. Let me use an example. When a felon is in unlawful possession of a firearm, it's what we call a 922 G crime. It is a more significant crime than somebody who misrepresents on a firearms purchase form that they are a user or addicted to a narcotic stimulant or other drug. How many times do you think people fudge their answers on those firearms purchase forms? I had a hard time even persuading my superiors at the Department of Justice to bring more serious gun charges. We see these kind of relatively minor um, uh Crimes when it comes to misreporting on firearms purchase forms only when they are tacked on to more significant crimes like somebody who did this, then went out, used that firearm and shot somebody. Maybe they would batch a series of crimes together, including a violation of, you know, the the 4473 form. Um, But, uh, you know, we do not typically bring these in standalone fashion. And I have said before, if Hunter's last name wasn't Biden, I think it very unlikely these charges would have been brought. Yeah, that seems likely. Let's uh, let's talk about this split case. So now you're going to have Cheeseboro or Chesboro and Powell separate. What are the implications of having them have a trial first? I'm actually kind of glad their trials are going to happen this year because I think people will be able to see really what's going to be the case against Trump. But what do you think? Yeah, there's an upside and a downside. The upside is Trump and all of the other co-defendants will have an opportunity to preview D.A. Willis's case. I have been involved in a series of RICO prosecutions against one gang, but there were so many defendants, we had to break it up into three trials. I saw the defense attorney sitting in the courtroom watching (laughs) us present our case so they could take advantage of the of the weak spots. So that is on the upside for Trump and the rest of the defendants. But there's a huge downside, Joy. There will only be two defendants in there and defense attorneys representing those two defendants, Cheesebro and Powell. And you know what those defense attorneys will do? They will attack the evidence only as it implicates, directly implicates Cheesebro and Powell. But Fawny Willis will present the entire RICO case, including the crimes against Donald Trump. But those that evidence will go unanswered because Donald Trump will Mm. not have a voice in the proceeding. So all of that incriminating evidence against Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani and Mark Meadows Mm -hmm. and Jeffrey Clark and the others will pour in and it will be largely unchallenged. And because the trial is being televised and live streamed, this is one where the court of public opinion will not be won by Donald Trump. 
Yep, and, and and you know who's going to be watching it? Me, and a whole lot of other people, because I'm definitely going to watch. Uh, Glenn Kirshner, thank you, my friend. Much appreciated. Still ahead, the politics of impeachment. Republican infighting marks their latest attempts to distract from Trump's legal troubles by investigating President Biden and shutting down the government. Jen Psaki and Cornell Belcher join me next. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, parents, Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com podcast. I call it the incredibly shrinking speakership. Uh, At some point, you have to say, why do I want to be speaker? If your members have the confidence that you are the person to do the job, then at some point, there's a decision that has to be made. The decision was made in favor of of, uh, the fringe, and that's what we're living with now. Speaker Emerita Nancy Pelosi on the disaster that is Speaker Kevin McCarthy's Republican caucus just days after he gave in to the MAGA fringe by opening an impeachment inquiry into President Biden. It got McCarthy a whole lot of nothing since he's now in a slap fight with Matt Gates, who's threatened McCarthy with a daily attempt to remove him as speaker, known as a motion to vacate. Two sources told NBC News that in a closed door meeting of House Republicans this morning, McCarthy said, quote, file the effing motion if they want him out as speaker. In the midst of all the fighting, Congress still has to fund the government. They'll leave for a holiday break, however, without doing that. In the meantime, the drama from the clown car caucus reinforces that President Biden is the actual adult in the room. He addressed the impeachment inquiry for the first time on Wednesday, shrugging off the Republicans' evidence-free impeachment, saying, quote, I've got a job to do, adding they just knew they wanted to impeach me. And now the best I can tell, they want to impeach me because they want to shut down the government. Joining me now is Jen Psaki, <laughs> former White House press secretary and host of Inside with Jen Psaki, which will follow this show on Monday nights beginning September 25th, in addition to her current time slot on Sundays at noon. And Cornell Belcher, Democratic pollster, strategist and MSNBC political analyst. I'm going to start by saying congratulations. Thank you. We're going to be neighbors. We have a DC. We're actually our kind of neighbors. Like we are neighbors. But we, yeah, but now we're real <laughs> neighbors like, on, on air as well. Exactly. Uh, so congratulations. I'm going to start you. with you, too, because... Let me just read you. This is just fun. Let oh, me read fun. you what Republicans... There's so much to read and show. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is their first day of their impeachment inquiry. In the first days of the inquiry, the House Republicans made no new requests for documents. 
issued no new subpoenas, demanded no new testimony, and laid out no potential articles of impeachment. Instead, they flocked to the cameras to call Mr. Biden a liar and a crook. So they actually aren't doing an impeachment inquiry. They're just saying the word impeachment a lot. What is happening? Well, what was very telling to me was the Elise Stefanik press conference. Because Elise Stefanik um, has become a strong MAGA advocate, supporter. There's lots of ways to describe her. She's been talking to Donald Trump and Mm -hmm. giving him updates on Mm -hmm. the impeachment process. When she gave a press conference, she said, I, we expect to find. They've been investigating for nine months. Mm-hmm. They have found nothing because they're looking for things like Joe Biden's role in Hunter Biden's actions, mm-hmm. which they have not found. Mm-hmm. And they expect that if they open this, they will find something more. That's not how an impeachment inquiry is supposed to work. Correct. It's quite telling on the purpose here. And, you know, I think about the, the Clinton impeachment, right? They wanted to impeach Bill Clinton from the time he got in office. Let's be clear. There were threats of doing it. There was a, a, a Georgia congressman that said, we're going to get him. They're, they fished for something. They had the Whitewater deal, but they kept but they didn't open the inquiry until they had the dress. Until they had a thing that they could say, aha, here's a thing. Now we're going to make you say, did you have this affair? And now you have a thing. In this case, they're looking for the thing, Mm -hmm. which is like the opposite. Right. And so strategically for the Biden administration, I mean, they are they're responding to it the same way Clinton did, saying we got to do our jobs here. But what do you make of the fact that in this case, it's so thin, it's not even a real inquiry? Well, it's it's really problematic for Republicans. I, I, I look at this and I say, you know, has have they given up any hope that they're going to retain the house because this is not how you retain the house look they ran on last time i checked they ran on inflation was too high something's got to be done about inflation and crime is out of control joy i haven't seen you cover any of their bills and all their legislation about <laughs> crime and inflation they're like what's crime and inflation right because they have done so so they've actually done none of the things that the american people are most focused on and they're opening up uh, an impeachment inquiry mm-hmm. that is not how you're going to hold house especially with those 12 or 13 republican members who sit right now right and biden seats but, but let me ask you this though because you do have a certain movement in the polls of people who they don't know anything about it but they think somehow joe biden is involved in hunter biden's business mm-hmm. that has increased this th- but this is is the beauty of it. It's the same thing. It's the same thing that they played out with with but fraud and then no with fraud in the election. Oh, right. Yeah. You say it enough times, right? Yep. So this is the this is the theater. They will spend the next month saying uh, fraud and ethics problems, and then at some point in, the, in a month or so, you, you'll look and people will say, "Well, I think there's fraud and ethics problems because they've been talking they about just, it for yeah, two months." It's like her emails, her emails, right? Her so, email. so, so this is how they drive the conversation. And then when you ask them, "Well, there's no fraud." you know, or, or problems with the Biden campaign. And then they'll say, oh, well, lots of people think there's fraud with the Biden campaign. This is, this is how it plays out. And, and but again, loss in here is the agenda of the American people. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that Comer is the one who actually led the committee that investigated Biden and found nothing. Right. So they know there's nothing. But I mean, I do think that they are trying her emails on Joe Biden. Oh, yeah. yeah. If they can trick us who do yes. TV shows into having to sit there and say impeachment, impeachment, impeachment. Right. They went. Right. And as you were just saying, as Cornell was just saying, I mean, if you look at the recent polls and the White House is very well aware of this, my former colleagues over there. <laughs> 48% in a recent poll of the American people think Joe Biden is corrupt. That is crazy. Right. It's not that much higher. I think it's like 58% or yeah. a little higher, yeah. depending, who think Donald Trump is corrupt. Yeah. He has been indicted in four different cases. <laughs> found guilty for sexual abuse. So a lot of this is create the confusion and the smoky mirrors. This yeah. is, by the way, what authoritarian dictators do in countries like Russia, where they say, we're just going to throw a lot of stuff out there right. and create confusion. So it just evens it out and everybody's corrupt. It's, and that is where it's we need to be. It's what Trump got impeached for. Can I make one quick point mm-hmm. about the 48? 
also notice that that 48 also coincides with Trump's ceiling. Right. We've seen in two elections, he's a 47 at max 48 percent. But that is locked in and is baked in. And we still have the majority, hopefully, to mm. convince that he's not, in fact, corrupt. Mm -hmm. All right. Jen and Cornell are staying right here uh, with us as we look at the potential impact of third party spoilers in the upcoming election. That should be fun. Uh, we'll do that when we come right back. Senator Mitt Romney said the modern Republican Party is a populist party led by a demagogue. Romney decided to exit the Senate rather than stick around and see what happens next year. The choice in 2024 remains very clear. It's between democracy and demagoguery. And the race, as of today, is razor thin. While the choice was clear for Romney, it's not so clear for West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin, the perpetual pest of President Biden. According to The Washington Post, Manchin is struggling with his political future and considering three options, running for re-election in West Virginia as an independent, running for president as a no-labels candidate, like anybody's asking for that, and retiring from politics altogether. No-labels, of course, being the shadowy nonprofit backed by conservative donors like Clarence Thomas's pal Harlan Crow and former Trump donor Alan Key. They're selling themselves as a centrist party in a deeply tribalized country, and they've hired a who's to a who's to of Republicans and Democrats to sell their message, which is basically Bidenism without Biden. Mind you, no third party candidate has ever come remotely close to winning, including Theodore Roosevelt. In fact, no third party candidate has won a single electoral vote since 1968. That ain't stopping them. No labels would join the Green Party's Cornell West and Robert F. Kennedy Jr., a Democrat in name only, in challenging Biden. Just yesterday, Kennedy threatened to run as an independent. Back with me are Jen Psaki and Cornell Belcher. I'm going to go to you first on this, Cornell. Impact of these third party races. It is. This is the only way Donald Trump wins, right? Donald Trump wins by subtraction. We've seen now in back-to-back -back cases, we know what Donald Trump's ceiling is. It's roughly 47 percent. Go back to 2016. Donald Trump and most of the major battleground states, except for maybe Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, um, Pennsylvania, there's only one point, one point or, or 1.5 points difference between his performance winning and Mitt Romney's performance losing. The difference is take a state like Wisconsin where you have Hillary Clinton dramatically underperforming among, among younger voters, right? That the margin between the younger voters voting third party are, is almost exactly the margin by which she lost that state. Mm -hmm. And that is true in Wisconsin. That is also true in, in, in Michigan, Pennsylvania. This is how Donald Trump gets back in the office with 47%. Right. I mean, and, and I wonder how seriously the White House is taking this mm -hmm. because you've got people who are just mad at Biden for being older, yeah. right? They want someone younger. They want choices and alternatives. Mm -hmm. And here a bunch of people are saying they're going to run. And then you've got no labels saying, hey, here we are, too. How concerned should the White House be? Well, you have to be concerned about everything if you're the White House, right? Including the reality of how close this election is likely to be next November. And that may bend a lot of people's brains. I mean, how could it be close with a guy who's been indicted four times? Mm. It is going to be close. It's a divided country. They have to take any element of anyone or anything that is going to impact that seriously, including these third-party candidates. Even though they're unlikely to get an electoral vote yeah. and they're unlikely to win— as Cornell just outlined, they have been spoilers in the past. There are yeah. people who wouldn't have been president without a third party candidate in the race. And that could be the case this time. Talk to me about David Ignatius. He wrote a column. He's, not, he's like a foreign policy writer. But suddenly he comes out with a column saying Biden should step aside and really kick Kamala Harris off of the ticket as well. Yeah, I mean, look, David Ignatius is one of the most well-respected foreign policy columnists out there. He's well-sourced around the world. 
I think the issue here is that what is outlined in that column or the way I read it is the conversation that's happening sometimes at dinner parties in places like Washington and New York and L.A. and San Francisco. That's not unimportant. There are important people at those conversations. But those are not the conversations happening on college campuses and at kitchen tables across the country. And those are the people who are going to elect the next president. Yeah. Not the dinner parties. So that's not, you talk to anybody in Cornell does focus groups all the time who is working in the Biden world, the DNC working on campaigns. The concern about Kamala Harris being on the ticket is not a real thing that comes up in these focus groups. It's not in polling. It is a concern in the right wing and one that is repeated because, you know, Democrats can often be concerned and bedwet a bit. Can I, can I, can I, can I, can I, can I play one thing? No, yeah. Yeah. Can I go okay, go please. I think some of the soft bigotry is showing in the progressives. I really do. I think when you look at the way they've come after this woman of color, right? Women always have to work harder than men. I don't have to tell you two that. But woman of color it, with power, I think she's threatening. And I think some of some of the some of the soft bigotry, even in progressive circles, yeah. is yeah. really let me let me actually. And I think you make a really good point mm-hmm. because I've had a lot of people text me this morning, like, "Hey, interesting that there's constantly this attack on her." But here's how regular folks at Hampton University. She is on a college tour. She was at Hampton today. Listen to a couple of actual voters, young voters. Any concerns about voting for him at 80? Do you feel like he's too old? What do you think? I think that you have to look at it as the better of the two evils, honestly. I mean, considering right now with anybody that's in the position to make the decisions and run, they're all older. With him being older, um, just having someone as young, as vibrant, as passionate as uh, Madam Vice President, she needs to be there. (laughs) I completely agree. I mean, <laughs> when real people get to talk, that is how, that's my point. You know, college, I hadn't even seen that clip. Those young women are talking how people, when you go out and you spend time on campaigns, mm-hmm. that is how people talk. That's how people think about the choice they're facing. I also think because this, this whole argument, and I'm not saying this is where David Ignatius got it from, but like came in some ways from right wing circles. And what they're saying when they say Joe Biden, if you elect Joe Biden, you're electing Kamala Harris is he's senile. She's a black woman. That is what they are saying. And that is what they are trying to get a certain part of the population to hear. Yeah, I don't. And by the way, well, shout out to Hampton University. Uh, Beautiful campus. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm from the office right next door. Uh, A little bit (laughs) biased. But she's but this isn't by accident. Right. When you look at what what the, the Biden-Harris ticket's got to do, she's the perfect person to start going out there. She's going to be out, out for, I think, uh, the entire month. Yeah, she's got Morehouse Bidding and a bunch of other yeah, Wisconsin, tour. yeah. Uh, he won uh, voters under 30 by 24 points last time. He's nowhere near that right now in the polls. If he comes near that in the polls right now, forget about it. He's going to be fine. So this is very strategic. And she's the best person out there. Because you know what? When you look at the young America, j- millennials, Gen Zs, they're the most diverse group of Americans That's ever. It. They connect with this woman of color. They, they connect with this mixed race woman. Mm-hmm. And she's the she's a young, powerful voice who they need to, to go out there and mobilize. She threw a hip hop party. <laughs> she did. Which <laughs> no, I, was there, I was overseas. Was, I'm mad. I, I don't know why she threw it then while I was overseas. But <laughs> she I forgive her. For I know. <laughs> okay, Jen Saggy, Cornell Belcher. Thank you, friends. Appreciate you. Coming up, United Auto Workers prepare to strike as contract negotiations continue ahead of a midnight deadline. Back in a second. Our goal is not to strike. Our goal is to reach a fair agreement. But if the companies continue to bargain in bad faith or continue to stall or continue to give us insulting offers, 
then our strike's going to continue to grow. We're not just going to stand by as corporate executives and the rich continue to make extraordinary profits while the rest of us continue to get left further and further behind at the big three and beyond. That was United Auto Workers President Sean Fain making it clear that if auto companies don't come to a fair agreement with workers by midnight tonight, union members will go on strike. The first ever simultaneous strike against the big three automakers, General Motors, Ford and Chrysler's parent company, Solantis. The union is seeking a 46 percent wage hike over the next four years, as well as cost of living increases and 32 hour work weeks. The companies have countered with raises as high as 20 percent, one time bonus payments for inflation and Juneteenth. as a paid holiday. This comes as their executives have, of course, gotten stupendously high raises. For example, GM Chief Mary Barra's compensation grew by 32.5 percent from 2018 to 2022, while the median GM employees pay grew by 2.8 percent. There's also a massive pay discrepancy with the CEO of Solantis getting 365 times as much as a median employee. The ratio at GM is 362 to 1, and at Ford, it's 281 to 1. Of course, auto executives claim they are bargaining in good faith. But a source from Ford said today the odds are very high that the strike will happen. These negotiations are on the tail end of an historic summer of strikes, with workers demanding fair wages across the country, including Hollywood writers and actors who continue to picket studios months after going on strike. We'll learn at midnight if auto workers will join them. And that is the readout. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.